I don't even know if I'm... Oh, I am going cool. We're just going to go off of it like this. Good morning, good afternoon, and hello once again. Anchor is not working on my computer, which means I have to do this all on my phone. Which I guess is a good thing we're doing it on the phone, because hey, internets. There are Jews in the world, there are Buddhists, there are Hindus and Mormons, and then... There are those that follow Mohammed's but I've never been one of them. Fie Jesu Domine, Dona Eis Requiem. Oh Lord, oh you are so big, so absolutely huge. Do you think maybe he's compensating for something? <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. What do we learn? I don't know, sir. I don't fucking know either. We'll talk more afterwards, but let's get right to it. This week's gospel is from John chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. And this is what it says. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, but no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. And Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh. What is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished when I say to you, You must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen. Yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that so whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order for the world might be saved through him. I really love this passage, honestly. But, you know, Greeks and their philosophy and stuff like that, that's kind of like, how John was always written, but kind of makes me think of something, you know? Have you ever gotten an unexpected visitor? 
you know, you got settled into that lazy boy, you got your beer for the evening, or your wine, or your coke and, you know, rum, whatever it is. Your only plan is to turn off your mind, relax, binge watch some anime, or movie, Mrs. Maisel, what have you. And then there's a knock at your door. And all your plans just... Who knows what needs are on the other side of that door? All you know is your plans have just been put on hold. So, in 1982, very, very early, on July 9th, a man named Michael Fagan broke into Buckingham Palace and entered Queen Elizabeth's bedroom. She was asleep. Imagine her surprise when she realized that there was a man standing over her bed that wasn't a member of her staff or family. Fagan assured her that he wasn't there to hurt her. He just wanted to talk. Crazy enough, the queen kept her cool. She listened to Fagan as he told her about how hard it was to support his four children after his wife had left him. Crazy enough, Fagan's break-in had set off numerous palace alarms, but security staff ignored them because no one had ever successfully broken in before. So eventually, a member of the household staff came and escorted Fagan out of the Queen's bedroom, but... And, you know, later he was arrested. But it makes me wonder... Do you think it set off any alarms in Jesus' mind when Nicodemus, a leader of the Pharisees, came to see him at night? There's a lot of Bible scholars speculating that maybe Nicodemus did not want to be seen talking to Jesus because he had his reputation and position to you know, protect. But he really wanted to speak to Jesus to try and understand, which is something you don't see the Pharisees doing a lot in the Bible. There's this Funny quote I read once, because, uh, you know, I was looking for all sorts of funny things, but it says, you know, you're middle of age when you realize that caution is the only thing you care to exercise. See, Nicodemus was this respected elder in his community. So maybe you're just scared. And so in caution, he visited Jesus at night. And by the way, this is the second Sunday of Lent, a period of 40 days set aside specifically for Christians to reflect upon the events leading up to Jesus' death. In March, we're studying four people and their encounters with Jesus. Each person came to him in a different need. Each person came to him with a different question. And to each person, Jesus revealed some part of his mission as the Messiah and Savior. And each person walked away with a chance at second at life. A chance to live newly. Because they realized they met God, his incarnation, face to face. And I really hope and pray that this season leading up to Easter, every single person listening will also understand what that second chance at new life means. So our first encounter here is with Nicodemus, a leader of Pharisees. Why did Nicodemus come to Jesus at night, but also, why did he come at all? What was he expecting from this encounter? 
Jim Moore, who's a pastor, shares that people of African descent in the United States have a special appreciation for the story of Nicodemus. During those awful days of slavery, slaves were only allowed to gather for worship at night, after they had completed all their work. And Pastor Moore writes, The slaves saw in Nicodemus' night visit proof that it was possible to come to Jesus, even when those in power forbade it. Now, enslaved people were making a tremendous sacrifice and gathering to worship at night. Some of them risked their lives to do so. And we're not even going to get into the racist part that their Bible that they were allowed to have and use was completely edited. But that's a measure of their courage, to live out their faith no matter what. In our Bible today, in this passage, we see Nicodemus doesn't even really know who Jesus is, but he's curious. Maybe not committed, but curious. And the only thing he's risking is his reputation. In fact, Nicodemus doesn't even have a big question or need that he's bringing to Jesus, at least not at first. The conversation simply begins with him saying, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who's come from God, but no one can perform these signs you're doing if God wasn't with him. And Jesus says, well, no one can see the kingdom unless they're born again. So why did John's Jesus say that? It's because God and the workings, working out of God's kingdom is staring Nicodemus in the face. Even though Nicodemus has heard his teachings, seen his miracles, he doesn't know who Jesus is. Now, I've learned that back in the 1920s, the days of my great-grandfather, the saying, close but no cigar, became very popular in the United States. In those days, it was a popular form of entertainment in small towns across the country to have traveling fairs or carnivals. And back then, the carnival games were created to appeal to men because they were the ones with the change in their pockets to attend entertainment outside the home. These days, the games at fairs and carnivals are geared towards children, but those early days of the carnival, men were the primary audience, and cigars were a popular prize. So, carnival game stalls were filled with displays of nice cigars to entice men into forking over a few pennies for a game. And because carnivals are a great date, it was also the time of carnival glass, which there's quite a bit in my house because my fiance loves carnival glass. And whew, that's getting used to. Anyway, Nicodemus knew about God. He had dedicated his life to honoring God through his studies of and observance of God's law, but now he was face to face with God incarnate. but he didn't recognize him as such. He was close, but no cigar. So he asked, how can someone be born when they are old? I can kind of relate to that. But I think what he's really asking is, how can you show me who God is? What have I been missing all my life? Which brings us today, the first lesson from this passage. The difference between knowing about God and knowing God are worlds apart. 
There was a man from Syria who chose to remain anonymous for fear of persecution, who shared the knowledge of how Jesus changed his life. He was very devout and disciplined in the practice of his country's religion. He had been studying their holy books since childhood. But he knew he was missing something vital in his life. He said, Religion only filled my days, but not my heart. So he begged God to show him truth. But a study of religion left him feeling empty. He said, It felt as if something great was surrounding me and waiting for me to run into it, but what could it be? And I think that quote from the Syrian man may very well describe why Nicodemus came to Jesus that night. He saw something great in Jesus' teaching and his life. And he wanted to run toward that greatness, but he didn't, just couldn't conceive of what it was. He did not understand that through Jesus, he could know God and have a relationship with God. And so the Syrian man cried out to God. He wanted to know if God was real, if his faith was in vain. One day he heard a radio program about Jesus, and it filled him with joy. He went in secret to a nearby Christian church and spoke to the pastor there, and in a conversation he discovered a God who chose to make himself known. A God whose love for us compelled him to enter into our human experience, take on our frailty and weakness, and relate to us face to face. That Syrian man left there with a new life. He had been born again the call was ripped off of his face and he said that day filled my heart with joy and I felt as if the bells of the church chimed in harmony with the beats of my heart I think that's lovely it's I've, I've had that experience before and I hope everyone gets that experience for me I've always believed in God and I've even heard Jesus speak to me through Matthew chapter 6 on the Ash Wednesday, it just blared into my brain, my heart, my soul. But I didn't have a revelational experience like this until I was introduced to Taoism through a movie, which is complicated. We'll put that in for another day. But it brings us to our second insight that we have from this passage. Once we've heard Jesus' words, we have to make a decision. We can't remain neutral. Even walking away as Nicodemus did is a decision. So Dr. Francis Collins, a former director of the National Human Genome Research Institute, Um, Under his leadership, researchers at the Institute worked to decode the 3 billion DNA letters that make up the human genome. He grew up as an atheist, was very comfortable in this, but before he was a director of one of our nation's most prestigious scientific institutes, he was a medical doctor. And his witnessing how his patients' faith in God gave them so much comfort in the face of suffering and death caused him to question his atheism. He went and visited a Methodist church and minister, the intention of questioning him him and shooting down his arguments for God, but instead the minister suggested he reads 
The Narnia Chronicles by C.S. Lewis. And they come back to discuss them in the books. And also, um, yeah, the other stuff too. It's, anyway, Francis Collins found logical, reasoned evidence for the existence of God. I find that some of the best proof of God that I have found actually comes from um, that show Sheldon. You know, when the Big Bang Theory characters growing up, he actually gives his evidence for God to his mom. And it's about gravity and force. Because somehow, if gravity was even a little bit stronger or a little bit weaker, nothing would exist. Atoms would fly apart or they'd collapse inside of themselves. But because gravity is so precise, because that universal force is so precise, if not for God, then how? So Dr. Francis Collins said in an interview with PBS, I didn't want this conclusion. I was very happy with the idea that God did not exist and had no interest in me. Yet at the same time, I couldn't turn away. You can argue yourself on the basis of pure intellect right up to the precipice of belief. But then you have to decide. I don't believe intellectual argument alone will push someone across that gap. This is a supernatural truth. And in that regard, the spirit enters into this, not just the mind. Which leads us to that final insight for today. We can't have the life that God offers us until we die to our current life. And as a follower of Jesus, that's the hardest thing we will ever face. Like many of us, Nicodemus was not ready for this truth. He walked away that day with no indication that he believed Jesus' words. He missed the great opportunity in the world to know God and to live a new life empowered by the Spirit of God. In verse 5, Jesus says, "Truly, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Perhaps water refers to the act of baptism, which symbolizes dying to our old lives and being raised again to new. And not just a second chance at the same life, but to be born again by that water means to live our new life with God's Spirit, aligning our mind and heart to the mind and heart of God. A life that's been transformed not to serve itself, but in love to serve all of creation. Many years ago, there was a 10-year-old boy named Christopher Carrier who was kidnapped and almost murdered by a stranger. The man took Christopher out into a remote area of the Florida Everglades, stabbed and shot the boy in the head, left him for dead with the alligators in that swamp. Amazingly, he survived the attack. Now, he lost vision in one eye, but the fear of his attacker haunted him even though he remained under police protection. Three years after that attack, Christopher attended a youth church youth event. And at this event, 
He learned about a new life he could find by trusting Jesus. And that night, even though he was baptized as a babe, even though he'd been going to church his entire life, at this Episcopal youth event, he became a Christian that night and finally started the process of healing in his life. In 1996, a man named David McAllister confessed to the kidnapping and attempted murder. McAllister had been an employee of Chris's father. When Mr. Carrier caught McAllister drinking on the job, he fired him, and the vicious attack on young Christopher was revenge for the firing. McAllister was a frail old man in that local nursing home. And weirdly enough, Chris began visiting David in the nursing home. At first, McAllister denied his crime, but he couldn't admit to his victim what he had done. But Christopher had become a Christian speaker, told McAllister, what you meant for evil, God has turned into a wonderful blessing. And McAllister finally apologized to Chris for the hurt he had caused him. Now the Carrier family began visiting David McAllister regularly in his nursing home. And one day Chris asked McAllister, Do you want to know God? McAllister said yeah, and they prayed together. And David asked Jesus to be Lord of his life. He chose to die to his old life, to be born again to a life aligned with the Spirit of God. A few days later, David McAllister died peacefully in his sleep. Now Chris said, I saw the Lord give man back his life and so much more. You know what? I can't wait to see McAllister again in heaven. So many of us go through life knowing about God, but not knowing God. We spend our lives trying to be good enough to earn God's love. Which is something you can't do. It is freely given. And there is nothing you can do to earn it. And there's nothing you can do to have it taken away. We study the Bible or do good works in our community. Trying to earn that which cannot be earned. And those are all great and good things and God-honoring things, but we will never look, sorry, we will never work our way to knowing God or earning salvation. God already did the work on our behalf. As John writes in verses 16 and 17 today, God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So we just have to make that decision. Do we believe this? If so, we can give up our life of selfishness, of self-serving, of platitudes, and exchange it to be transformed in the life that God offers us, filled with love and compassion for everyone, with no judgment upon us or others. 
because God is love. So this Lenten season, I'm praying and hoping that this message is held safe in each of you and that you die and come back in that love, in that compassion, this Lenten season. Because God is offering you a new life. Would you accept it? Let's talk about this uh, extra stuff. I have been dating way too much and I keep forgetting to like write stuff down. I keep wanting to add more materials. And I've even taken pretty much most of this week off to try and catch up. And I haven't gotten anywhere with it. Go figure. Anyway... Midweek, I'm going to start putting things up as well through Lent, maybe even beyond a second set of episodes, you could say. Mostly, it's going to be for subscribers. So if you haven't subscribed, please do so. It's only $3 a month, and the more of that I get, the more I can spend making this kind of content and maybe work deeper into some of the weird parts of Christianity that a lot of people don't like. That Christianity, I guess you could say, is forgotten. It's history. Um, it's means. It's the good and the bad. And just, you know, dig deeper. Anyway. Um, it also helps me pay for all this yarn I'm getting. Which I make headbands for nurses and the like. Doctors if they want them and nurses if they want them. I also make prayer shawls and shawls for people who are in nursing homes and going into hospice. So if you'd like to know more about that stuff, feel free to subscribe and I'll be posting some videos here on Twitter and Twitch and everywhere else. So follow me, rate me five stars on Spotify if that's where you're listening to me or wherever you're listening to the podcast and let me know what you think. Do you accept it? Do you have the balls to believe so wholeheartedly that you can be reborn in love, compassion, and everything that it means to truly be God's love on earth? Because that's how we find the kingdom, my friends. That is the kingdom. We don't have to die to see it. We just have to be born in spirit. I love you all, and I hope you have a great week. I'll talk to you next Sunday. Peace, love, and remember, all are welcome, my friends.